Hey, welcome to the podcast for Gospel Community Church in Providence, Rhode Island. We are the family of God, redeemed and transformed by Jesus, called to live on mission with one another. The content you are about to listen to is designed and created specifically with our church family in mind, and our hope is that you are blessed and challenged as you listen to it. May it point you to Jesus, challenge you to draw into a faith family, and help you live out the mission of God in your own context. If you find this content helpful, would you consider joining us in the work God is doing here? You can do so by giving financially to help keep the work going, praying for us regularly, or even joining us in our daily and weekly rhythms here in Providence. Thanks for tuning in. Enjoy. Israel. 
Remember last week as Tim was teaching, he, he turned to the crowd that was following him and he said, this is an evil generation. Uh, he said that because they were seeking a sign to know whether or not Jesus was the Messiah and they were totally blind to the fact that he'd been working in front of them so much. He was healing people, raised people from the dead. So many miracles were happening. They're saying, we demand a sign. And he's just You know, he's talking to the religious people last week in the text. Again, he's talking to religious people in this text. So it goes without saying, there are a lot of religious people following Jesus at the time. There's a lot of various types of people, but there's a lot of religious people. And some of this religious crowd were genuinely curious. They're like, you know, we've been studying the Torah, we've been really trying to discern who will this Messiah be? Could this be the Messiah? So they're curious. You see this, a good example is uh, in John 3, Nicodemus, that's a famous passage of uh, John 3.16 comes out of this. Nicodemus, he's, he's someone who's curious. So he comes to Jesus and asks, he wants to know. But then there's other people, other religious people who are following Jesus and, and really they're just waiting for one solid reason to just punish him breaking the law, because they want to do away with him. They, he does not fit into what they think the Messiah should be. You know, this is actually, it got me thinking it's a little bit similar to our modern context, right? Uh, in regards to church, in regards to people who follow Jesus, there are, we've all had relationships with some people who are genuinely curious. They want to know, like, who is Jesus? What does it mean to follow Jesus? And they're uh, honest their questions with you, but then there's another crowd uh, who are just waiting for the moment that somebody says they follow Jesus messes up. So they can say, see, everyone's a hypocrite, and this God is not good. Anyway, so along this journey, you've got this journey that they're taking. Jesus and his followers, they're having multiple interactions with highly religious Jewish people. And they continue to disapprove of the way that Jesus, who is a Jewish man, is following the Jewish law. They don't think that he's doing it the right way because he's not adhering to uh, some of their traditions. You see that years of tradition had led lots of had led to lots of new rules in the Jewish community that had been added. They had something called the Oral Law that was uh, put in place uh, to kind of you know, Rail around following the Torah. So if the Torah says one thing, we're going to actually say you have to do this so that you don't even come close to breaking that law. And again, that idea of them creating these rules around the rules should be entirely foreign to us, anyone who's kind of been brought up in Western Christianity, because I think we've got lots of examples of that as well. And I'm not trying to dig on any one group or the other, because I know that I'm guilty of it as well, but there's lots of things that we do in Western Christianity that maybe they started as well-intentioned traditions, but now they function as like a law for us. And we're trying to use these things to gauge whether God loves us. Right? I'm going to let your mind go to whatever those particular things are. I think one kind of silly example is the way that we say grace before dinner or before a meal. It's like this totally cultural thing. And like, you know, saying a blessing before a meal is, 
you see Jesus doing this, right? Like, he's, he's looking up to the Father, and he's, he's breaking the bread and blessing, but we've turned it into this, like, very, very specific thing that we're supposed to say before the meal starts, and that's, like, the magic words. Again, it probably started as, like, this love and Blessing, but now it's turned into, you know, someone's into their third bite of the meal, and then someone says, All right, let's pray. And everyone at the table feels terrible. Oh my gosh, it's been the worst thing ever. So we're not completely foreign to this law around the law type thing, but that is something that was happening within, within the Jewish community. Well, in this text this morning, as Sam read, there's two groups within this religious community. Uh, that Jesus speaks directly to. The first one is the Pharisees. Now, we all know the Pharisees, right? Like, if you've read any amount of the Gospels, you're pretty well acquainted with the Pharisees, and they're, like, always the bad guys, right? Like, Pharisee equals legalistic, and that's just kind of what we think. But let's get a little bit of history. Let's, let's give these guys a break, okay? In the sake of uh, just generosity, let's just get a little backstory for who the Pharisees are. They are a specific group within the Jewish community. Actually, lots of historians say that they weren't even like a prominent group within the Jewish community. Uh, that's kind of disputed, but they were a group within the Jewish community that was extra concerned with keeping those extra rules and guardrails around the, the law. So they were actually the ones who would be like creating these over time. Some of the rabbis within the Pharisees would, would be adding oral tradition. Um, interesting thing about the Pharisees is that you didn't have to be a special person to be a Pharisee necessarily. Um, they were made up of a lot of common people. Uh, so people, people like us, we could be different Pharisees. Uh, you didn't have to be a priest to be a Pharisee. Um, so I thought that was actually really interesting. Uh, but to be a Pharisee, you had to go through this strict process uh, of following these specific guidelines, and then you were essentially made like a covenant member as a Pharisee. Uh, again, not super weird for us to think about because of how the way we do church as well. Um, anyway, that's kind of group number one. Also, one more note on the Pharisees. Even no, regardless of how prominent they were in the culture, one thing is true that the historians all agree on is that they had a big influence on religious and political culture before, during, and after the time of Jesus. This other group uh, that Jesus is going to speak directly to uh, are named as the lawyers. Uh, that word is also interchangeable with scribes uh, throughout the New Testament. Um, these people were specifically responsible, they get this job, they're responsible for copying the Torah, which would be the law of Moses, they were supposed to be preserving it, and then also interpreting it. So they were actually, um, they were aiding the Pharisees, as the Pharisees would come up with these new oral traditions. As they would interpret the law, the lawyers, they were aiding the Pharisees as to what would be the next best steps moving forward. So I thought that was interesting, because we think of lawyers as this, you know, very courtroom-based thing. American culture, but this was lawyers who were looking to uphold the Jewish law. Anyway, it's a little backstory. Now, with all of that context, I know that was a mouthful, let's dive into the passage 
for the morning. But before I do that, I'm going to pray for us. Father, would you open our eyes to see wonderful things in your word? Even with these woes, would you teach us something of value of what your character is in this and how we can better devote our lives totally to you, to be in your presence. So we pray that you would do that through your word enlighten our eyes through the Holy Spirit now. Amen. So let's pick up Luke 11, verse 37. It says this, While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at table. So on the back end of this story that Tim was teaching last night, where he's calling the crowd an evil generation, it says, as Jesus was speaking, one of the Pharisees who was following him said, Hey, would you come to my place for a meal? And Jesus says, Yeah, I'll come. Things seem to start pretty cordial at this meal. Okay, it says he went in and he reclined at the table. So let's see how long this lasts. Verse 38. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. So cordialness over. Now we've got astonishment that Jesus did something very, very bad, according to the Pharisees. So why is this so bad that Jesus did not wash? Um, it's important to note that as a part of the oral traditions that we uh, mentioned earlier of the Pharisees, they held a high emphasis on ritual cleansing. So this is one of those extra rules that was around the law. Um, they would expect you, uh, if you were coming to a meal like this, to have washed entirely before the meal. And Jesus, it says that he just came right in. So he had no, he had no washing before the meal. And then, and then they would have this ceremonial hand washing before the start of the meal as a symbol that they were set apart from God. It was this whole really ordained thing that they would do, where the water would drip over their hand and thing. But Jesus, he knows that they do this. And he intentionally is being defiant against that rule. He's using this hand-washing rule as an opportunity to kind of peel back the curtain, if you will, to expose what's really going on in the hearts of the Pharisees. So the Pharisees are astonished, and Jesus responds to that astonishment by saying this. And he just lays it. Verse 39. Now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but, in, in, but on the inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools! Did not he who made the outside make the inside also? Again, Jesus is just using this tradition as an opportunity to expose the heart behind the ritual. Remember last week in verse 34, um, Jesus says this. He says, your eye is the lamp to your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it's bad, your body is full of darkness. As Jesus is responding with this rebuke, he's essentially saying this, like, listen, I said it before, but your perspective, your eye... On all of this, the law, how you relate to God, is totally wrong. 
It isn't the outward acts that make you clean, but it's the posture of your heart toward God. That's what that response from Jesus is communicating. You know, it's funny because the Pharisees are condemning Jesus because he's not outwardly clean, but Jesus responds by saying, you know, God is more concerned with what's inside your heart, and yours is written with sin. He says that their hearts are full of greed and wickedness. So, man, this party has turned sour very fast. It's making, like, even the worst politically driven, awkward Thanksgiving dinner uh, feel like walking the park. Jesus, he then, now that he's kind of torn the band-aid off, if you will, he just starts to kind of lay into this heart even more, this, like, religious heart. And he starts with two sets of woes, one to the Pharisees and then one to the lawyers. But he starts with the Pharisees. And again, a woe is a denunciation. It's kind of a word that we don't use, right? But it's, a, it's like a denunciation. It's a, a bit of a condemnation, but it's also blended with sadness. Not that Jesus wants to be doing this, but he has to be doing this. So he, he starts on these list of woes toward the Pharisees. Verse 42 Jesus condemns the fact that their order, the Pharisees, they strictly enforce tithing, yet they neglect justice and the love of God. The Pharisees were, they had these rules, right, in place to, to tithe. If you became a Pharisee, you tithe even extra than what the law required. But even in the process of doing that, they, they, they forgot that to love God in the process, or to actually show justice. And when Jesus does this well, he's, he's referring to what an Old Testament passage that everyone would have been well acquainted with, that the Pharisees would have been well acquainted with. Micah 6, 8, it says, And what does the Lord require of you but to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God? So this woe is just saying, listen, doing is the opposite. Okay? Verse 43, this is another woe. He says, Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and the greetings in the marketplace. He is cutting straight to the fact that they love to be seen and heard. Okay? They love their place of status in the Jewish community. They love to be seen. The pride, he is, he's saying, Woe. And then the third one, there's a little bit of context here in verse 44. Jesus says, Woe to you, for you have left unmarked graves, and people walk over them without knowing it. So, calling someone an unmarked grave is probably just like not a nice thing in general in our culture, but in their culture it was a way bigger deal. Because you have to understand within Judaism, there are laws in place for Jewish people that say you can't come in a certain proximity to a dead body, and it would make you ceremonially unclean. You wouldn't be able to come and worship if you had come in contact with a dead body. And get this, Jesus is saying you're an unmarked grave. So by teaching the things that you're teaching, you Pharisees, people are becoming defiled just by interacting with you, by listening to what you're saying, and they don't Big deal. It's a 
by yoke and evil. So this is the end of the list of the woes to the Pharisees in this story, at least. Um, but in the middle, as Jesus is calling out uh, the Pharisees for, you know, their religious heart, for wanting to be seen, for neglecting justice and, and the love of God, this, this guest, who is a lawyer at this meal, he pipes up and he's kind of speaking on behalf of his host. And he says this, Teacher, in saying these things, you're insulting us too. Uh, the word insult there is a lot heavier in uh, the original language than it is in English. Uh, insult is to say, he was saying, you're, you're shaming us. Like you're like openly shaming us by the things that you're saying. So what does Jesus do? He, he backs up and says, yeah, you're right, I'm sorry. No, he digs in even harder. And he, he turns his attention now specifically to these lawyers. And he says, Woe to you also, lawyers, for you load people up with burdens that are hard to bear, and you yourselves, you don't even touch them, not even with your fingers. This woe, how similar is this? What does this remind you of, okay? The ministry of Jesus, what does he tell his followers? Because apparently, the religious people, the Pharisees and the lawyers were telling people, must do this, 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 and they weren't even willing to do it themselves. But what did Jesus say? He says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, heavy laden. And he said, Unite yourself to me, because my burden is, is light, my yoke is easy. Which is the exact opposite of what the Pharisees and the lawyers are imposing on people. Second, woe to the lawyers. Is in verse 47 through 51. Um, this woe is really interesting because Jesus is condemning uh, the fact that they're being hypocritical because they were building tombs for prophets that their ancestors killed. Now, he would say, okay, yeah, that's not so bad to build a tomb and to try and right the wrong of what your ancestors did. The problem here is. They were still justifying the same heart that their ancestors had when they killed the prophets while building a tomb for the prophet. And he's saying, how hypocritical is that? If the prophets were here right now, you would kill them, yet you're building a tomb for them. And case in point, Jesus came and they killed him. Okay? So he's just exposing that for what it is. So he's saying, well, vote for that. And the final one to these to the lawyers, the final woe. Again, remember, when we were giving context for the lawyers, right, they were responsible for uh, recording uh, the, the, the Old Testament. And you know, there's so much we actually need to be thankful for them because we wouldn't have scripture if it weren't for people like them. Okay? They preserved it. The Dead Sea Scrolls, those, those type of documents were recorded by people like this. But Jesus, this woe cut straight to the heart he says, woe to you, you're taking away the key of knowledge. Essentially saying, as you interpret and as you record the Old Testament, the way that you're shaping it is totally leading people away from the truth. Like it's going in the opposite direction of what the good news of the kingdom of God 
through the woes. We're done. Okay? It was hard. I don't get to bear anymore. But at this point, if you're like me, you're probably thinking as you read through the text, things are looking pretty bleak for the religious people. Like Jesus has thoroughly laid into them, he's exposed their sinfulness, and he has pretty specifically named their wrongs here. And you may be thinking, so is that it? Is Jesus just going to condemn them and leave them without hope of change? Just like, you're condemned. You guys did it wrong. You messed up. You done messed up. What about grace? Is there grace for the Pharisees? Thank gosh. Is there grace for us? If there's no grace for the Pharisees, then I have a hard time believing there's grace for us. And I want to direct our attention back to what Jesus says in verse 41. This is like right as this whole thing kicks off. Right as things get to start to get really swirly, right after Jesus calls the Pharisees filled with greed and wickedness, this is what Jesus says. Verse 41 says this, But give as alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. What does that mean? Give as alms the things that are within. It's a confusing way to say that for us. Jesus is inviting them. An alm would be a sacrifice. Why don't you bring as a sacrifice your greed and wickedness, bring that to the altar, and lay it there, okay? And just, he's inviting them to do an honest examination of their own heart and repent of the thing that he just exposed, the greed and the wickedness. He's asking them, if you would just surrender those things as a sacrifice to God, would be forgiven. And the implication here is that, yeah, if they would just repent of their wickedness and of their greed, then God would forgive them, and he would have, and, and the Pharisees no longer would have a need to try and earn God's love through these ritual cleansings and man-made traditions. If they would just give it up, there's no amount of righteousness that's going to earn you God's love. You see, it's not... It's not following rules or traditions that are necessarily bad, but rather it's the heart behind why we engage in those things. And the Pharisees and the scribes' hearts, they were in the wrong place. They felt that rule-keeping, that saving face, and that status would earn them favor with God, but that's the opposite of the message of Jesus. There's nothing that you can do, but I'm going to do it for you, right? God desires first that we would acknowledge and repent of our own sinfulness and of our own limitations to do good on our own. And then as we do that, we are met with this overwhelming grace from Jesus. He invites us to stop all of our striving to earn his love and to take his easy yoke upon ourselves and to experience true rest for our souls. God desires that we taste and see his goodness. And that any good deeds would just come as an overflow of love in our heart because of what he's done for us. Not because of anything we can do for him. If you didn't hear anything, I just leave with this, that God is so much, if there's one thing that this story tells us, is that God is so much more concerned with the posture of our hearts toward him 
than anything that we can do for him. And this story is just so relevant to a crowd like ours. I'm not necessarily calling us the Pharisees, but there are some striking similarities to much of the Christian culture that many of us have been exposed to and brought up in with various forms of legalism that intertwine. So I wonder if, if we were to give an honest examination of our lifestyle, of our various religious practices, how much of them would come from a similar heart that the Pharisees had? Self-justification and pride. And, you know, will we respond if we're convicted of those things? How will we respond? I just, I just want to finish by asking a question to us and then, and then reading a few passages. The question is simple. It's this. What are some habits in our life that we know can lead us easily into legalism or trying to earn favor with God? Why don't we take a minute and reflect on that talk about it with your gospel community this week, but right now, just reflect on that. What are the ways that the habits that I have that aren't necessarily bad, but I know they can easily lead me into legalism? I'm going to finish by just reading a few passages that really speak to God's heart toward us. First one's from Hosea 6, verse 6. It says, this is God, For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. The next one is Psalm 51. This is verses 16 and 17. David, the king of Israel. For you do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You take no pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Let me just leave us with the words of Jesus. He says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Jesus, would you help us to experience that light burden? Would you help us to literally let go?